Harrison Price for Tuesday, November 21st, 2023. Coming to you from the GoGo Sports Studio, built by Arbor Lee here at the iconic Wall Center, downtown Vancouver. The most wonderful time of year right around the corner. Call the Wall Center sales team, 604-893-7370 for your festive gatherings. Spread some holiday cheer. Matt Sikers alongside Blake Price, Grady Sass, hitting switches, conducting things in this show. A presentation of Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Nissan in Langley has a huge stock of EVs with rates from 5.99% for the one of the forerunners of the electric revolution, the Nissan Leaf. Go check it out or get the Rogue. Old trusty standby, the Nissan Rogue. Finance from 3.99% at Applewood. It's all good. It's all good. At Applewood. I told you from time to time I want that line. Poll question today. Apologize. It's all right. thought you'd met your quota recently. Will Quinn Hughes surpass Kale McCarr as the best defense best defenseman in the NHL? Yes or no? You can vote at Sikerson Price on Twitter and YouTube. I have voted yes. The risk of buying too much into a small sample size. Quinn Hughes is the best skater in the National Hockey League right now. He leads the NHL in points after a two-point effort last night. And I think at the end of the year, we'll be talking about Quinn Hughes in the same vein as Kale McCarr and handing him at least a Norris trophy. Kale McCarr, um, what he's done in his career to date, and again, he's just 25 years of age, but in particular two seasons ago, his 28-goal campaign had my jaw on the floor. He was so spectacular. I didn't know mm-hmm. that it was possible to be that good, to be honest. Um you know, it was it was still a very good season last year. A little less spectacular, just by virtue of games played and uh, hampered by injury. It's it, it's too much of a sample size right now, or too little a sample size for me to say yes right now. But it certainly is within the bounds of probability that he's able to do that. It's just a high bar. And Cam McCart, by the way, is coming in hot right now at twenty seven points in seventeen games. So he could absolutely pull off the feet that Quinn Hughes has. He needs three points in the next two games to do the exact same. Of course, big showdown tomorrow in Denver between Kale McCarr's Avalanche and Quinn Hughes's Vancouver Canucks. And not only a showdown between those two top defensemen, but the top defense pairs in the National Hockey League. When you look at Philip Ronick, nearly a point per game with the Vancouver Canucks this year. And of course, Abbotsford's Devon Taves, who is getting even more kudos for his fine play alongside McCarr with the Colorado Avalanche. These are modern defense pairs. More on this in today's welcome, Matt. As for Hughes, let's hear from him after the 3-1 win against San Jose on Monday night, where, uh, look, 30 points, 8 goals, which ties a career high already. He's not satisfied. Always trying, you know, I think I can't get caught um, being satisfied or happy. I think in the past, you know, getting real satisfied and then, you know, letting your uh, foot off the off the gas here. And I think that I've been really good at, you know, sticking day to day and trying to attack each day. And so I'm trying to do. All gas, no breaks. His 58 shots also leave the Vancouver Canucks. He's playing 24 minutes and 27 seconds on average per night, plus 16 Two game-winning goals already this year. 13 power play points. On and on it goes for Quinn Hughes, the Canucks captain. Now, victory last night over San Jose. 
I'm not sure this is one they'll write home about. It's I think a you, dreadful I think, opponent, of course. I think you could critique it and say, "Gosh, you got to beat that team going away." Well, they did already this year. Yeah. <laughs> so you, well, has played better, and Rick Talk had mentioned in the post game that they've changed some things up about how they play defensively and collapsing in front of the net. Mackenzie Blackwood was very good in the San Jose goal last they, night. Thatcher Demko was good in the Vancouver goal. They last almost night. outshot them two to one, though. Like it was uh, outside the last flurry. I think it was thirty-seven twenty-two late in the game for the shots on goal. Well, so. they got it up to forty, then they took three shots away from them. Yeah, finished at thirty-seven. Yeah, which is wow. by the way four more shots than they had um, in the ten-one in win. the ten-one way. <laughs> Uh, this game turned several times, one on a coach's challenge from Rick Tockett for goaltender interference, and not one I thought he was going to win either. But they take a San Jose goal off the board. Two minutes later, Quinn Hughes scores to make it one nothing. Then Lafferty with a shorthanded goal at the buzzer at the end of the second period, and you know they're in good stead then because... San Jose is just not coming back from two goals down in the third period to beat many teams, but they score early in the third. Thomas Hurdle on that five-minute power play, and we'll discuss the Nils Hoaglander slew foot and fine here in a moment. And yet there is Vancouver yet again, and it's more Ronick and Hughes with incredible play at the blue line to keep the zone and get the puck to net where JT Miller finishes. He's on an eight-game point streak right now as well let's hear from coach talk though because for the longest time this is a nil nil game and uh well prince harry might have thought he was watching premier league yeah sometimes these games um it tastes it tests your fortitude in the sense it's okay it's zero zero and uh you know i i felt that first maybe a couple of lines were getting frustrated because they you know they weren't they were getting some chance to win the scoring, but we weren't driving to the net. I mean, a lot of it was outside stuff. And I think when you play, you know, the Sharks, they've changed, and you know, obviously they played well the last two, three weeks. They've changed some stuff. They pack it in. Uh, thought their goalie played well tonight too. So you can't get frustrated and you can't, you know, sell the farm on every play. Um, so sometimes it's good to have those games where it's zero, zero halfway through the game and it's okay. I mean, that's something we gotta keep, you know, uh, learning. More insightful stuff from Talkit. Gosh, he's so good explaining the game and explaining mm-hmm. different types of games. And he's absolutely right. For an offensively inclined team like the Vancouver Canucks, 0-0 is not their comfort zone. And patience is a virtue. So well done on winning this style of game. And I don't know how you felt about it, Blake. Jeff and I both thought the process was absolutely right from the officials last night on the Hoaglander slew foot and can live with the five-minute match penalty. It was by no means the most forceful slew foot, but he also shoves him with his upper body down to the ice, so it's a dangerous play. Intent to injure sounds pretty grave. That's, well, the match penalties where I've got, I've got no problem with the five minutes at all. The match penalties where I, I take issue with it as well, considering and I just find this whole penalty, and and I, like I'm looking at a at a San Jose host right now uh, who tweeted last night. Pardon me. There aren't much things worse than a slew foot, and I heard things like that ushered all or uttered all night last night. There's a lot of things worse, like a lot. 
Uh, like LeBanc's head goes nowhere near the ice. He braces himself. Um, interference, boarding, charging, fighting, high-sticking, slashing, elbowing. They're all dangerous. And not one is more dangerous than the other. But you hear slew foot and people go, oh, we have to rid ourselves of slew footing in the NHL. Well, I, all those things I just mentioned, blindside hits, like no one, no one, it's just to me, it's kind of remarkable that we draw such this hard line on slew foot. Like you say slew foot in the NHL and it's like, oh my gosh, so dangerous, so classless. Like, I'm sorry, checking somebody from behind two feet from the boards, way more dangerous. Like the cross check to the lower back of Garland. Garland's last face night. into the boards. No one, not one person uttered, we've got to get that hit out of the game. But you see the slew foot, and you see a thousand people say that. And I, I'm not saying one is more worse than the other. It's just the arbitrary line that we've drawn around slew footing to Which me is now is in odd. the rule book as slew footing. Yes, and it's automatic. So there's no there's no there's no scale of slew footing, but there's scale on all the other penalties. So I just I the only thing I take issue with is, is that it becomes a game. Of, this is the first major of Niels Hoaglander's career. We're not talking about a dirty player here. Um, and I, the only thing I've got a problem with is that it goes straight to a game misconduct, a match penalty, automatic, you know, look from the league. Um, these are two guys wrestling and, and yeah, Hoaglander does the, the sort of the, the sweep of the leg to make it happen. Um, but why is that deemed it's, this is a game played by 200 pound men at speed carrying an implement, a sharp implement and a blade. Um, this is a stationary penalty. Can it be dangerous? Yes. Like every other penalty I just mentioned, it can be dangerous. Why is this one held above all the rest? I just, that I don't get. If you want to deal with violence here, fine. But there's a lot of violence elsewhere that you just go, yep, that's good for two minutes. I don't get it. Rant over? Rant over. I blame Alex Burrows. <laughs> On this market. It's a snoo foot. In this market. <laughs> Hoaglander fined $2,800 today by the league. No further discipline after that. Well, last night's game also had uh, royal assent, if you will. Yeah, kept and and more evidence that this organization is doing everything they can to keep things under wrap. There might have been a time where that gets leaked. Did not. Jeff said he saw a bunch of business executives of the Canucks touring a group around on Sunday and went, hmm, that's kind of odd on a Sunday. Well, turns out it was the advance party for the Duke of Sussex and Meghan Markle. Getting the... Prince uh, Harry, of course, as uh, the founder of the Invictus Games. If you're not familiar for uh, Wounded Warriors. Mm -hmm. It's coming here to Vancouver Whistler next year, next February. And... uh, much like his grandmother, 21 years earlier, dropped the ceremonial puck. Against the Sharks. Against the Sharks. Sadly, no Mike Ricci visage <laughs> beside yes. his, his majesty. Decidedly his better looking Linus. people. Sorry. Decidedly Sorry. better looking people. Yes. And um, they looked like they were having a hell of a time yeah. when the scoring finally started. They were sitting in a box with the Chiefs from the Squamish, Musqueam, Slaylatooth Nations, as well as Premier EB. Prince Harry leaping to his feet when JT Miller scored. Meghan Markle dancing in place. Puzzled by the no-goal call. That that one got a lot of chatter. 
mm-hmm. when the uh, goal got disallowed. Mm-hmm. And uh, Prince Harry had to make his way through the Canucks bench on route to center ice to drop the puck. Almost slipped. He almost slipped there. Oh, would that happen? That would have been bad. Oh, my goodness. That would have been bad. That would have been an elite item in the UK. Mm-hmm. All-time gif. Uh, and he even pantomimed wiping his brow when it was all said and done. So yeah. well done, Harry. And, of course, once upon a time, they were British Columbia residents after fleeing Britain, looking for some solitude. Yeah. Probably Global paparazzi found them, and then they they were like, "It's also pretty cold. Let's go to California." Yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, I'm uh, interested to see how much uh, Prince Harry will feature in the final episodes of The Crown, which is out on Netflix. So he makes his way through the Canucks bench, and he gets a fist bump from Canucks head coach. Rick Tockett, I assure you this is not protocol, Blake. Take a yeah, take a listen. It was pretty cool. Yeah, gave him a, I gave him a fist bump. I don't know if that's if you're allowed to do that. I I did it though. He did it. I don't know. He kind of looked at me, but he did it. So you know, pretty cool to get a fist bump from, right? He picked the right guy to break protocol with because if yes. Harry and Megan want nothing to do with protocols, like okay. they, they they want to dispel with all of that crap. So um, if it was Miss, if it was King Charles, absolutely, that would have been an issue. Prince Harry has been breaking protocol his entire life. Yes, he is truly. That's his, the brand. He is truly his mother's son yeah. in that uh, in that regard. You are. Um, so I was once a school child in Ottawa who was selected to go down to Parliament Hill because Her Majesty was coming. Mm-hmm. So I was one of the you know hundreds of, course of you school were. kids. Yes, of course, were. send Matthew. <laughs> His mother's British. She'll really like that. And um, we were given a protocol briefing, and we're told you do not reach out to touch the royal personage. You wait until the royal personage comes and reaches to you. Yes, him. exactly. Yeah. Anyways, fun night at Rogers Arena, especially after the first period. Because after the first period, like I was like that. This is dreadful. Yeah. That was amongst the worst periods of hockey I think we've watched this year. And Shorty and Ray talked about that uh, on the broadcast. And and really what it is is the Sharks were great with that. Right? That boring, scoreless opening period was, oh, yeah. was victory for well, them. San Jose is not winning many boat races. No. So more, on them, that, but, more on boat races here in a second. So that was very intentional. But eventually we, uh, we got some lubrication in the gears and, yep. and the game got going. Uh, we asked about Ethan Bear on yesterday's poll question. We will uh, recap those results later in the program. I saw Rick Dollywall reporting that Canucks will aggressively, whatever that means, push for Bear and that there are a number of teams interested. They may have to move Carson Soucy to LTIR to account for Bear cap space-wise or, or a trade. He should eclipse nine games. So that's not a big deal. And, of course, uh, the Canucks are once again being taxed here. We've told you it's a very busy portion of the schedule, but Wednesday in Denver marks the first of three games and four nights into Seattle on Friday and then back against the Sharks Saturday from the Bay Area before coming home next week for Tuesday and Thursday games against the Ducks and the Vegas Golden Knights. So a lot of Pacific division here yeah, in the offing for the Vancouver Canucks, who are 7-1-1 one and one 
at home and have done great work against Western Conference teams at large this year. Herein lies the issue. Those Vegas Golden Knights are pretty damn good and still lead the division by a point, same number of games as the Vancouver Canucks, one overtime loss, uh, one more overtime loss, one less regulation loss for Vegas is the difference right now. They're 8-1-1 at home. And then there's the L.A. Kings, Blake, who just simply refuse to go away. They win again last night. It's three consecutive for the Kings. Their plus 22 is third in the league in goal differential behind the Canucks and Bruins. It's better than Vegas. They are 8-0 away from Los Angeles this year. They're me- they're, they're, uh, they're only 3-3-3 three, three, and three at, at home. home. But they're 8-0 on the road, 25 points, two back of Vancouver with two games in hand. Yeah, the, so, the Canucks have actually got the fourth best points percentage in the Western Conference. They're behind Vegas, L.A., and Dallas yes. in pace. So we, we've talked about the cushion, and of course the Canucks do have a cushion to the playoff bar and those just outside of it who are chasing. There's not a lot of cushion at the top of the Pacific Division. They are in a Donnybrook with a couple of teams playing terrific hockey right now. So got to continue the winning ways. Now, one of the, uh, it was a busy night in the NHL, of course, a dark night Tuesday, a dark night on American Thanksgiving Thursday, but one of the games Which, was, by the way, Jeff Merrick uh, explained, he had a source explain it to him. There's only three buildings in all of the National Hockey League that had availability for games tonight. And Vancouver well, is one of them. What, yes, uh, but those Canadian teams are now on the road, like Vancouver's leaving today to go on a road trip. Right. Arizona was the only American team. They would have had to go back-to-back, and they didn't want to go back-to-back. Yeah. Right. And as John Shannon will explain to us later in the show, those American teams like to be home for the Thanksgiving mm-hmm. Day holiday, and everybody likes the um, Friday games. Of course, the NFL owns Thanksgiving Thursday. Four teams coming home from Sweden. But as we cast our gaze further down the Pacific Division, the Edmonton Oilers at 5-11-1, seventh place better only than these lowly Sharks. Edmonton with a 2-0 lead in Florida last night, minus Sasha Barkov. The Panthers are playing without one of the best defensive forwards in the game. Connor McDavid has two goals, and they still find a way to lose. It prompted a question in the postgame from Sportsnet's Mark Spector to Connor McDavid, Asking him, are you better off trying to win this game 4-1 or are you better off trying to win this game 7-5? Effectively, why are you guys trying to play to a defensive system that has not bared fruit for you this year and has gotten a coach fired when if you just play fire wagon hockey, there's not a lot of teams, particularly Florida minus their number one centerman, who can win a boat race with you. Well, and in fact, Connor McDavid's answer to the question is just factually wrong. He says, obviously, we're trying to keep the puck out of our own net. Mm-hmm. That's not the end. That's not the goal of a hockey game. The goal of a hockey game? Win the game. Score more goals than the other guys. That's right. That's the goal. So uh, McDavid does make a, um, obviously not the first time that Spectre has asked McDavid a question regarding the style that the Oilers play and whether they're better suited to just play up-tempo offensive hockey because he says something along the lines of, boy, you really like this question. Mm-hmm. 
a little bit of frustration there, understandably so. But it's calling a speed of speed. I also think it's a, it's a decent question. Yeah. I mean, you don't have a lot more time to bleed if you're Edmonton. No. Retired NHL official Tim Peel, who is a, um interesting follow on Twitter. He's not a follow for me. Okay. He's a... Uh, That's how interesting he is. Well... <laughs> Um, he's just he's so harsh like he's so he's harsh he's angry yeah so i just don't i don't i got no room for that in my life so. he's uh a lot of bravado there calls out the question on twitter specter sends him a direct message thanks for piling on tim i'll remember that the next time you fuck up peel well it's a stupid question of course they'd like to win 4-1 specter you ref Never have the balls to answer a question for your shit-ass work, and you're critiquing me? Peel, quit being so sensitive. Grow some balls, Mark. Never played the game, like, honestly. Spectre, been around it long enough to know a horse shit ref when I see one, Tim. Been very good read for my whole career, 35 years. Thanks for noticing. Peel, you've always been a fucking fraud, buddy. Now, Peel takes these DMs and put, puts them in the public sphere. Yeah. And a lot of people have an issue. Classy move. Yeah. With that. Um, and Mark is absolutely right about the accountability of National Hockey League referees. I've never answered a question. Literally never mm-hmm. answered a question after a game. Uh, Peel's initial tweet was, this is what happens when you call out an Edmonton reporter for asking Connor McDavid if he'd rather win 4-1. An idiotic question. Of course they would. This is why some players don't want to play in Canada. Connor played his ass off tonight. Well, that's half the story, Tim. And look, I'm not I'm not necessarily defending the totality of Spectre's work or questioning, but I thought it was a decent question and an appropriate one last night. The only and, thing I'll say is it's not would you rather win 4-1? It's again, it's stylistically how best to skin the cat here. And this is not why players don't want to play in Canada. In fact, I'm half surprised that Connor McDavid hasn't out of, asked out of Edmonton earlier than this, not because of reporters' questions, because of a poorly run franchise around him. Go ahead. Well, the 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 question could have been asked better for sure, and I also think the question might just be wasted because you're not going to get the answer that you're looking for. You know, they're not going to be honest about that. And say, well, they're rarely honest. Well, because it's a contradiction to the coach then. If you say that, yes. you're saying, I think we're playing the wrong system. So you're not going to get that out of a player. But guess what? If Connor McDavid does believe they're better off mm-hmm. playing that way, and Connor McDavid answers the question honestly, guess what changes? Potentially. Oh, I think. But they just made the changes. Well, fair enough. I, I mean, I think, what you, I think maybe the question that you ask if you're going to go down that road is. Should you guys be worried more about offense and just scoring more goals than worrying about the defense that that might not change? Um, you know, find a different way to say exactly what you're trying yeah, to say. That's fair enough. I did like this tweet about it from at Data Driven Hockey, the Mark Spector of refs going after the Tim Peel of reports. <laughs> <laughs> that might be the most accurate. <laughs> oh man. Football, where the would-be game of the year in the National Football League, the Monday night Super Bowl rematch showdown between Kansas City and Philadelphia, ends 
with a dropped touchdown pass from Marcus Valdez Scantling of Kansas City with 140 to play and KC down four. Really symbolic of the National Football League year, if you ask me, Blake. And very much what Tom Brady has been talking about this week, and we'll get into that story tomorrow, about the product that the NFL is putting out. Because Tom Terrific, the GOAT, is not particularly impressed with what he is watching in his gap year after retiring and before heading gap into the Fox su- oh, I was going to say, gap year suggests analyst. he's coming back. <laughs> well, before he moves yes. into the Fox uh, analyst. Every team in the AFC now has at least three losses. Philadelphia is clearly now number one atop your power rankings after winning mm-hmm. this game. And really a splendid football game until that drop where Eli Manning on the Manning cast said it hurt his heart. And really been a lot of things, I think, that have hurt veteran football observers watching the NFL this year. It has not been a great year. Well, you say, you say he's playing a football Thursday game. Thursday has a chance to redeem. Well, look, I'm not sure Green Bay can hang in Detroit. I'm certainly not sure Washington can hang in Dallas. Then we get the San Francisco-Seattle game, and let's hope the Seahawks play them close and give us some theater in the nightcap. Um, of course, there's a Friday game between the Jets and Dolphins, and the Jets are going to some lad named Boyle at quarterback. If you're some lad named, you say so, it's a splendid football game, but when I tune into the Kansas City Chiefs, I want to see offense. Yeah, I want to see points. points, ain't it? And and no points in the second half for the fourth straight week for the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, fair enough. The New York Jets have nine points in the second half over those four weeks. They're second last in that category. You're trailing the Jets in a Four-week sample size of anything is yep. not good. Well, and speaking of uh, not good, Patriots, amongst the teams that have become unwatchable this year, rumors that Bill Belichick and the Washington Commanders could happen. Washington ownership, which, of course, has recently changed from Dan Snyder and includes a consortium that Magic Johnson is a part of. It hasn't grown up in the fiery depths of hell. Exactly. <laughs> I'm saying interested in trading for him. So we've now heard Belichick linked to the Chargers, and we've heard him linked to the Commanders. And I assure you, if Brian Dayball doesn't survive with the Giants, you'll hear him linked there because of his history with that franchise. I know Belichick's got history in California. I, the Commanders makes way more sense to me. Well, he was an NFC East guy forever, and yeah. he's now been an AFC East guy forever. Yeah. And then this is finishing up on the Grey Cup. Our colleague Adam Seaborn, three point five seven million, the average for your Grey Cup broadcast across TSN and RDS. As Adam notes, that's solid numbers for anything in twenty twenty three. A few years ago, the Grey Cup dipped below three million for the first time, and so getting it back up over three million and into the three and a halfs is pretty good for, let's face it, what was a compelling game. And the peak audience the peak audience was sensational here in the late stages as Montreal was driving for the game-winning touchdown. They actually updated those stats a little bit, and they've now said 3.7. Wow. Well, yeah. well done. They've collected all the crumbs. Well 3. done. 7. I mean, there's not a lot on television these days. This will be one of the highest-rated uh, programs on Canadian television all year. And for a purely domestic product, right? Like, I mean, that's yep. that's the thing. Like, there's for the the amount of people that are listening outside of these borders, it's 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 microscopic. It's just, it, it, that's an accomplishment for a purely domestic product to get that kind of a rating. It's kind of crazy. 
I mean, it's almost one in every 10 Canadians watching. Yeah. For a sport that a lot of people say they don't yep. watch, well, that's a well, lot of people anecdotally watching. Anecdotally this year, I heard more about Grey Cup parties, which was the thing way, way back in oh, the day. 80s was huge. Oh, my God. Like, Blake, when we were young kids, somebody on the block was having a Grey Cup party, right? I have some of my most vivid childhood memories are an annual Grey Cup party we had. Yeah. And there was 60 people at that oh, party. Oh, for sure. Yeah. People moving in and out of the house and... Yeah, yeah. I have vivid memories when my family lived in Calgary when I was young, when my family lived in Ottawa when I was young, of my parents hosting the Grey Cup party or going to Grey Cup parties. I don't I don't think we'll ever see those days return. No, no. But um but I think we can get to a point where where four million is a is an average Grey Cup audience. Yeah, and of course the other thing, uh I mean it is a a national institution, there are very few things that bring the country together like Grey Cup. The other thing I'll say is, much like when we talk about a Super Bowl audience that is typically reported at 100 to 110 million, the rating system is not exactly designed to gauge that accurately. No. Because who watches Super Bowl with simply the family of your household? Four. Yeah. No, exactly. Yeah. You typically have people over or you go to... We did last year at Goodco and Granville, a viewing party where you're surrounded by dozens. Are you suggesting that the ratings gathering system <laughs> is inaccurate, Matt? Is that what you're suggesting after all these years in the biz? Shocking. Don't get me started on the radio. Well, I was going to say TV looks damn right yeah, scientific no, exactly. next to radio. It sure does. Yeah. Let's get to today's menu. It's brought to you by Greta. Great place to catch the game throughout the season, playoffs, place to chill. In the offseason, John Shannon will join us. Plenty to discuss with John. We talk about the NHL going dark this week. We talk about the Grey Cup. We talk about Quinn Hughes as captain, the Quinn hughes Kill McCarr showdown. Talk about Columbus and what's happening there after yet another loss for the Blue Jackets. Milan Lucic, Rick Tockett also feature. We'll do some hashtags, the best and worst of Twitter, including... Uh, some speculation on the Major League Baseball offseason front. Alec Manoa and Shohei Otani feature there. Greg Bell, Captain Greg Bell, Seahawks beat writer for the News Tribune in Tacoma, stops by. Talk about the big showdown Thursday at Lumen Field against San Francisco and whether they have the goods to climb the 49ers mountain. Talk about Geno Smith, the line of scrimmage for this team, Jamal Adams, where he fits, and the future of the Seahawks, uh, well, let's face it, at some point you have to get through San Francisco, if not in the division, in the playoffs, right? I'll believe it when I see it. Let's get into it. I don't know if it was malicious, probably not, but I do know it was another WTF moment. My question to ownership would be, was it worth it? And the architect, and I use that term loosely, given there wasn't much architecture, more finger painting with this team. It's like the running of the bulls in Pamplona. You know someone is going to get hurt. That's what you all need to understand here, right now. Wednesday in Denver, the future of the NHL on defense will be on full display. Quinn Hughes, Kale McCarr, and by the way, their partners are pretty good players too. We're asking on today's poll question whether Hughes will surpass the Avalanche defenseman as the best blue liner in the game. Through 19 contests this season, Hughes has been the best skater in the NHL. McCarr has held that defensive mantle since winning the Norris and Smythe trophies in 2022. 
But beyond these two maestros, their partners are helping redefine the modern NHL defense pair. No longer are we saddling smooth skating offensive virtuosos with defensively oriented partners. That doesn't get the best out of them. Instead, the Canucks, building off the example of Abbotsford's Devon Taves with McCarr, put Philip Ronick with Hughes at the end of preseason. Now, they did so after trying several partners for Hughes and even talking about defense by committee. But whether serendipitously or not, the pairing has worked out and there's no splitting them up now. They were the last pair to give up a goal this NHL season, and their skill sets mesh offensively and defensively, given that they always have the puck. Great example was the 3-1 goal against San Jose Monday. Hronik does some terrific work in close quarters under duress to keep the zone and find Hughes on the opposite point. Canucks captain makes some space with this incredible edge work and gets the puck to net where JT Miller bats home a rebound. While McCarr and Taves will be the OG example when we look back years from now on loaded up top defense pairs, Hughes and Hronik driving team success will inform the possibilities for clubs that aren't teaming with Colorado's talent or depth. Wednesday marks their first meeting, and I suspect there will be many more of these defense pair showdowns as the rest of the league catches up. That's welcome at for today. We invite your feedback, feedback channels as follows on email live at securitsandprice.com. You can text 778-402-9680. It's a great clips text message inbox on Twitter. I'm at Sakaris at Sakaris and Price and the welcome at presentation of great clips. 37 salons in Vancouver and the lower mainland, all of them proudly Canadian owned and operated. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Applewood Auto Group. Applewood Kia in Langley would love to walk you through the 2024 Kia Seltos. It's a perfect size SUV available all-wheel drive. It's kind of built for BC and BC parking lots. We've got our parking lots are too small in British Columbia. Have you noticed that? My uh, parents have noted how thin some of the lanes and parking spaces yes. are. Yeah. Uh, well, space is at a premium. So go check out the Celtos, built for BC, raised from 4.99% or join the electric revolution. The Nero EV with vehicles in stock with rates from 6.49%. It's all good at Applewood. Poll question today, will Quinn Hughes surpass Kale McCarr as the best defenseman in the NHL? Yes or no? You can vote at Sakarison Price on Twitter and YouTube. We're joined now by the former executive producer of Hockey Night in Canada, the co-host of the Bob McCowan pod- podcast and BC Lions slash Grey Cup fan. John Shannon. Hello, Mr. Shannon. How are you? I'm good, boys. You're sounding okay, Matt. You're getting better. Mm. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's the forever cold, but we're getting there. So you went to Grey Cup on Sunday? Oh, I had a blast. Just an unbelievable time. You know, it's, uh, you know, with all the ups and downs of the CFL, and and I I think there's more ups right now than downs, uh, it just makes you feel good. Uh, it, It was in my mind, it was one of the top three Grey Cup games I've ever been at, uh, and uh, and loved every moment of it. And you could just sense Montreal getting more confident, even though they screwed up the end of the second quarter. Um, you could just see them grow in confidence with almost every play in the second half. 
good crowd, good game, good halftime show. Um, yeah, they they kind of knocked it out of the park, and and their rating was pretty good for the modern games. For uh, I mean, they've been growing the last three years coming out of the pandemic. I mean, there's it's a good sign for the CFL, isn't it? It is. It is. And and a lot has to do with stability of ownership. Obviously, in Montreal, they have new ownership. In Vancouver, there's new ownership. MLSC. The interesting thing is MLSC, who own the Argonauts, have reinvested in football, um, probably because the soccer team has been a little subpar. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, and, uh, and I think that they re- start to realize that, wow, this is a pretty good product and, and we should stick with it. But, uh, you know, if they can, I, I never thought I'd say this in my lifetime, but if they can fix the problems in Edmonton um, and, uh, and, and turn the team around, turn the team around in Regina, um, this, this league is going certainly in the correct direction. We're going to get to Quinn Hughes in the Canucks here in a second. Just one last question. Um, as a former television executive, CBS was your U.S. carrier this year. They were in for a million dollars. They did 30-some games and then chose not to do the Grey Cup. Would that concern you? No, um, because uh, in the uh, – I, I, respectfully, the CFL is filler for all these cable networks in the United States, CBS Sports Network, whether it was on ESPN for a while. And really what's happening with the CFL, and they deserve a bit of credit, is, is they're now selling an out-of-country product. So that if, uh, if there's an awareness, uh, you can actually subscribe to a CFL product that gets you the TSN feed and, and you're yeah. going to do just fine. I, so we should stop worrying about what goes on outside the boundaries and start con- and, and let's just be proud of what we do for our own country. You talk about ratings. You know, it, that's all we should be worried about. What's what's happening in our country and growing the game, the CFL game within the, you know, the 10 provinces and the three territories. Well, Grey Cup's here next year. Come on out. Stay at the Wall Center. We'll have a blast. Okay, Shannon? That Let's... sounds like something I can't refuse. Mm-hmm. So the segue from that to hockey is why do we have two dark nights this week on U.S. Thanksgiving with seven Canadian teams? And why were the games from Stockholm not nationally available? We went all that way and we didn't. This is our freaking sport. Why do we not get any attention here this week? Why can't we have all Canadian matchups on Thanksgiving? Like, explain this to me. Can't. Um, You you know, I, I I think it's a confluence of events. Um, Ottawa and Toronto coming back from Europe throws them out of the mix. Right. Um, Edmonton and Winnipeg and Calgary are on U.S. road trips. Uh, that throws them out of the mix in many ways because everything's trying to align for Wednesday night and Friday, Black Friday, which is what everybody's trying to deal with. I, there should be a Canadian-Canadian matchup tonight. There should be. They yeah. should they should try to fill it, um, but I'll tell you what I I, I have the you know Steve Hatsopetros is the schedule maker for the National Hockey League and Steve and I worked together a long time. He does a magnificent job, but he, when you think of all the masters he has to serve between uh, the two U.S. networks um, and and then three nights of national games in Canada, it's an impossible task. Uh, and, and, you know, you could sit here and, and say, well, that's not right. It shouldn't happen. Um, but he, he's, 
he's in a he's in a no win situation. As far as as far as the Sweden games, um, I believe that Rogers was offered the games, um, but it doesn't make financial sense for them um, because of when the games start. You know, they're, you know, whether it's two in the afternoon on a Thursday Eastern time or, you know, 11 in the morning or like the Sunday game started at 5 a.m. in Vancouver. You're not going to be able to sell advertisers, national advertisers, those types of things. So that's why they ended up being regional games. Mm. Um, and they would have just bonus the advertisers and given us. You, boy, he likes spending other people's money, man. That's yeah, I good. do. Yeah, I do. <laughs> what, what else are you showing at 5 a.m.? I mean, you, you, you just, you, you downgrade the cost at that point because of, well, the, because other thing of the is that you, you also have a product that, and it used to be called center ice NHL live. You also have a product on your sports net plus that, that, that can be driven by those types of things. It, it's not the most ideal scenario, but that's a reality of what happens when you have so many national nights otherwise. Because it, 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 there would have to have been a way if you take that game in Stockholm with the uh, with the Senators or the Maple Leafs, you only allowed certain amount of available dates for national games for all the Canadian teams. So you're not, and I, I don't want to say this to Senators and Leafs fans, you're not going to waste it on a game that starts so early in the morning. You're not going to waste it. Uh, moving on to our beloved Vancouver Canucks here, who yeah. went again last night against San Jose. They're into Denver tomorrow, John. Hughes v. McCarr. We're asking on our poll question today, will Hughes surpass McCarr as the best defenseman in the NHL this season? Wow. You know, and I, it's funny. I just ended up watching the Nashville Colorado highlights one more time and watching Kale McCarr uh, blow a tire on the winning goal. Um, that Nashville scored. They scored two goals in the last minute of play. Um, you know, I, I think the one difference for me between the two guys and is size. Uh, and Kale McCarr is a little more physical than uh, than Quinn Hughes. But I, I think anything that Quinn Hughes touches this year turns to gold. So it's going to be difficult not to think that he can surpass McCarr at this point. Um, you, you know, listening to Rick Tockett last night after the game, uh, talk about this is the first time in, in a few years that Quinn Hughes has come into a regular season completely healthy. And that speaks volumes to the start that he's had and how important he has become on the back end for the Canucks. I mean, uh, I think we can put to rest any worries that maybe they chose the wrong captain too, right? I mean, it, it, this has not hung heavily around his neck. And in fact, it may have inspired Quinn. This might be part of the reason why he's playing as well as he is. Perhaps, but uh, you know, I mean, uh, the, the, the mascot could have been the captain if the team keeps winning. You know, I mean, it, it's it, it, the it's it, it's a re the residue of that. You're right, Blake, but you know, I the chemistry on this team just seems to be so good right now, and that to me is absolutely amazing when you consider the last 18 months. And chemistry is so big, and part of that chemistry is JT Miller too. Um, and, and what he brings and the compete that he brings. And, um, you know, there were always people that were detractors of Miller. I was not one of them, but Miller was a, a, is a really important catalyst on this hockey club. And you don't necessarily need the C to be that catalyst. Well, he's, uh, he's found a nice level with his temperament, hasn't he? Because um, they do need a prickly SOB. 
he is that still, but he's not letting it become a distraction. He's not letting it become out of control to the point where he's taking penalties, for instance, or he's found a way to contain the anger, if you will. Well, the, pr- the prickly, prickly SLB jobs, Rick Dawkins. Yeah. You know, I, I really Although, think that. Well, and, he still is, though. Miller still I, I is a prickly they SLB. A, they, they have a really good synergy that I think they understand each other very well. I think they really believe in each other and don't mind you know, a, a little bit of friction between the two of them and the, and that friction's behind closed doors and then life goes on. Mm-hmm. So a couple things um, in addition. The problem is when JT's a prickly SOB with his own people. And right. I don't believe that has been the case this year. No. And secondly, John, I, I know Tockett's reputation as a player. He has been unfailingly patient, communicative, um, funny, he has gone out of his way to be, and look, the winning helps, no question. But even before it became clear they were going to win all these games, I think Tockett made a point to be a... Um, it was a new school coach and an old school rapper. Well, that's it. Yeah. Like, you know, last year he would get very frustrated after some games. This year you can tell he has chosen encouragement over discipline at virtually every turn. And... Um, <laughs> He's just a, he's a, um, right now to me, he is the touchstone for Vancouver Canucks hockey that he's the campfire that everybody's rallying around. Well, and uh, I mean, that game in Philadelphia where everybody said, whoa, he's calling this team out so early in the season. Yep. Uh, Rick Tockett has a good feel for his room. He knows exactly what to say and when to say it. Um, and that leadership group that he has, has, because that's really in the end, the key. And you, you hear it from coaches all the time. I don't necessarily deal with 23 players. I deal with five or six, you know, and he, he deals pretty directly. I'm sure with that leadership group that Miller's part of that Hughes is part of that Ronick is part of. So it, it's a, it's a, it's a great case study on how to, how to be patient and turn a hockey team around in a relatively short period of time. I know Vancouver fans don't think it was that short of time, but in a relatively short period of time. Depends on when you start the clock, I suppose. Um, well, and, you can't start example. it in 2012, you know. <laughs> yeah. The, well, a great example this week, though, because, you know, Kuzmenko wasn't great before taking the puck in the face and wasn't great again on Saturday in the loss to Seattle. And when people went back at him on Monday about Kuzmenko, he made sure to rope Patterson and Mikheyev in and criticized the line right. and talk about how the line could – he had already said his piece on Kuzmenko. He wasn't going to pile on. Distributed the weight. Yeah, yes. exactly, yeah. which is smart. And, and John, did, did the rest of the league miss out on this? Because correct me if I'm wrong, but when Rick Tockett was on the TNT panel, um, I, I didn't get the sense that people were like, you know, who's going to hire Rick Tockett? And like, it didn't seem like he was the buzz coach. This guy was sitting there the whole time. And I, don't, I didn't hear any calls of when, you know – we, we talk about guys like Quenville and you know, guys that are on the sidelines. When are they going to get hired? All that sort of thing. I never heard that with Rick Tockett. Did we know that he was going to be this caliber of a coach? Uh, that's a good question because like, for instance, um, you know, I know he interviewed in Seattle um, with Ron Francis and he, Ron could have hired him as his first coach and chose not to and hired Dave Haxtell instead. Uh, there were, there were other interviews that I'm sure Rick has had, but you know, whether it's timing or whether it just wasn't a mix, you know, this, this goes back to, um, I'm going to, I'm going to call it the Pittsburgh mafia. 
Jim Rutherford didn't need to interview Rick Tockett. Mm -hmm. Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvey knew what they had in Rick Tockett from their days in Pittsburgh. Uh, and so it was a much simpler decision in Vancouver than it would have been with any other organization that didn't have the same time frame that they had with Tockett with the Penguins. This Pacific Division, John, um, the LA Kings are not going away. They're right there nipping at the Canucks' heels for second place and with games in hand. And then a word or two about Edmonton that blow another 2 nothing lead last night, even with Connor going and against a Florida team that is missing Sasha Barkoff, maybe the best defensive centerman in the game. Yeah, I mean, it's got to be uh, tremendously frustrating. I, I, Connor was... Connor was really good in the game in Sunrise. He did he did what he had to do, but he can't do it alone. And you know, with the, their bottom six forwards are contributing. There are two guys that I think you have to wonder, like where is Ryan Nugent Hopkins? Um, you know, where Leon still is not on all cylinders for some reason. Um, you know, you know Zach Hyman has. Zach Hyman and, and Evander Kane have done everything they can do. I mean, they're, they're workhorses. They've been great. And then they still have so many deficiencies on defense. And when, and when, by the way, when things go bad, they go awful. You know, take a look at one of the goals last night. Kane's stick gets knocked out of his hands. There's a transition move. The stick, you know, slides down the ice and Philip Robert tricks over it and then creates a two-on-one and they score on it. The inability of, of this team to create its own luck. And it just seems to be, pardon the pun, but an avalanche of things like this that are happening to the Edmonton Oilers right now. And, it's, they, they, and, and they're going into Carolina and they're going into Washington. It ain't going to get easier. They may not be able to pull off a goalie trade because of the uh, the talent pool there, but do you pull off a hockey trade, uh, like a one-for-one, one, a like-for-like, like, just to shake the people up there a little bit is, isn't, isn't that, that sort what the of coaches firing was all about yeah that was the first attempt anyway so, yeah so I, I don't think you can i mean i think the the sample size is a little too small still two and two with the uh, chris knoblock so but you know if you wait too much longer then you certainly will be out of the playoff picture that's right. So go get a Columbus defenseman and see if you can shore it up by playing better team defense as opposed to relying on the goaltender. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. Which brings me to Columbus. And I know you're quite close with team president John Davidson. Yeah. yeah. Is uh Kekalainen gonna get an opportunity to trade one of these defensemen or are they gonna make a managerial change? No, Severson's Sever already off the market. Well, Severson gets hurt for yeah. Severson. And um, and full disclosure, I have not talked to John about this. Uh, we our our friendship is far beyond the game of hockey, um, and you know I think there's I mean Yarmo's been on the job for ten years. I don't know why that I don't know why it would happen now that he doesn't get a chance to do it. Uh, I do believe that this this leadership group has it has the full season to figure it out, um, and then we'll see what happens next summer. But that's just it. Been on the yeah. job ten years, and now you're into another rebuild. Come on. I mean, oh, was, no, I know. Was it's, it a 12, 13-year plan? Or? It, well, it, you know, it, it's funny because Yarmo is one of those guys that has never been afraid to, and, and the group has never been afraid to, to pull the big deals, you know, whether it be a trade deadline or whether it be free agent signings. And, and, and at the time, you, they do them, and they're, they're applauded for. And then there just isn't a way to make it seem to fit together. And that's, I'm certain, well, I know it's frustrating for those people. 
uh, lastly, uh, Milan Lucic, he pleads not guilty today. Has he yeah. played his last NHL game? I don't know. I, you know, I, I, I'm not a lawyer, but I do believe in due process. Let's figure mm-hmm. out what's happened. Let's, let's, you know, let's see what, what goes on. Let's, you know, we, our rush to judgment on these types of things is very difficult at times. Um, it certainly doesn't sound very good if you read the court proceedings. Um, but let's, let's just wait and yeah. see what happens. Uh, I'm, it's less a rush to judgment and more just, uh, you know, he's hanging on. He wasn't, he wasn't playing, he hasn't been playing anyway. Yeah, he wasn't playing. No, and at so. some point you become too much of a hassle to keep well, on the roster, right? right? So that's, um, the, that's yeah. the thing. Yeah. Cam, Cam's a pretty loyal guy though. Yeah. Cam mm-hmm. Neely's a pretty loyal guy. And by the way, Hoaglander's going to get a fine, eh? So just so you know. Oh, is he going to get a fine? Yeah. That's all. No more, no hearing. It'll be a fine. Okay. Great stuff. Thanks for this. Enjoy your uh, week. Hey, happy Thanksgiving. Like, yeah. Because I second, know. Second time around. Mm-hmm. Are you I going across that... the way to Buffalo and like hanging out with Harry Neal and having uh, uh, Thanksgiving dinner on that side as well? It's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> you know, it's not a bad idea, but I, I just, you know, I'll just, I'll just bring it in and uh, spend the day eating turkey one more time and watching football all day. And, yeah. They, they do Thanksgiving better than us. It must be said. Well, it's, a, a it's a different, it's a different, it's a, having lived there, I, I know, I, I did, I thought I understood it. Having lived there, I understand it. it's a totally different philosophy. Yeah. yeah. It's the beginning of the Christmas season for them. Effectively. Yes. yes. Yeah. In some and cases, so the, it's bigger than Christmas. You, you get the big family at Thanksgiving and they bring all their presents to put under the tree. And then at Christmas time, it's the immediate family. Yeah. Thank you, John. Till next Tuesday. Gobble, gobble. Harrison Price from Wall Center presentation, Apple at Auto Group. Hashtags, the best and worst at Twitter.com, brought to you by VGH Millionaire Lottery. You can be a multimillionaire for just $100 with your VGH. VGH Millionaire Lottery tickets. You get in to win one of 10 grand prize options, including home packages in Vancouver, the Lower Mainland, the Okanagan, Vancouver Island. We can take $2.7 million in tax-free cash. Don't forget your 50-50-plus tickets. Win half of BC's biggest jackpot. You can grow to $2.4 million. Early buyers win more, including bonus draws and 51 early bird draws. Of course, we all need VGH, and VGH needs you. Every ticket purchase supports VGH and UBC Hospital Foundation with your Millionaire Lottery tickets. You are supporting more than just hospital care. You are supporting you and your loved ones who need it most. Order your tickets toll-free. 1-888-445-5825 in person at London Drugs or online at millionairelottery.com. 19 plus to play. Know your limit. Play within it. At a ports line, CBJ Patrick Lyonet on his healthy scratch versus Philadelphia on Sunday. Quote, over my career, it's probably the most embarrassing thing that's happened to me. I'm not happy about that. They know that. It is what it is. It's over and done. End quote. Is it over and done? Is it over and done when you? uh, If he says they know that, that sounds like he went to them and said, "You don't do that to me again, or I'm asking out." That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah, and uh, just talked about this with John Shannon, but um, I I don't see how Kekalainen can continue there as the general manager when you take a look at the letter that ownership wrote to season ticket holders after they had to, well, the fans at large after they had to fire Barry and Kent Johnson. Yeah. Like, yeah, and, and well, and the guy they've chosen, you know, has decided I'm going to be Napoleon here. I like 
They, um, they said no to Babcock, and they've basically hired a proxy. I mean, why wouldn't you go 180 degrees, be the player's best friends, like, and see if nurturing and encouragement can get more out of this group? Goudreau's been a disaster. And look, line A at $8.7 million with three years left, Blake, and a modified no trade at 25 years old. I realize he's struggling now, and I realize he hasn't been as good in Columbus as he was in Winnipeg. That's still an attractive player. Yeah, at 25? Yeah. yeah. You got to bet that he's going to get it. And again, he's not far removed. His last couple of years in, in Columbus have not been that bad. And then if he wants out, then rather than the narrative, oh, Johnny Goudreau wanted to be here, you're back to Seth Jones, Pierre-Luc Dubois, and others wanted out of here. Yeah. Yeah, you got to make that place as comfortable as you can to play in. Correct. And they're making it uncomfortable. At Talking Baseball, the Blue Jays are open to moving Alec Manoa per Ken Rosenthal. I would think. Sell low. Well, you would be selling low, but the disaster scenario here is that Manoa comes back and has a year like he had last year. Where and you he's just, just can't use him, and thus he is, at that point, no longer an asset. He's not even a AAA pitcher last year. Dysfunctional teammate, like the gong like, show, sideshow. Yeah, process. right. Like you may have to cut your losses now rather than face the doomsday scenario on him. The whole fiasco with the not wanting to report to AAA, I'm sure, right. irked a lot of people in that organization. And yet, I would bet there's a team or two out there that thinks, let us get our hands on him. We can rehabilitate him. Sure. Oh, yeah. Sure. But I still don't think you're going to get much for him. No, but I, I, what you're going to get is the money you would otherwise have paid him yep. to pay others. Yep. You've got high hopes for Tiedemann. He was the Arizona League Pitcher of the Year. I know you're probably a little short starting pitching-wise if you move on from Manoa, but you're still pretty good one through four. Yeah. So Pitching is not you, the problem. And you have money to spend here. Like, a lot of money came off the books here. You got all winter to, to find another guy. Right. And I know this management group loves its trades, but I, I, I think small case, what applies in Seattle, applies in Toronto. It's time for ownership to buck up. You've got, as Scott Boris, the super agent, will tell you, you have one of the largest capital ownership groups in all of Major League Baseball in Toronto, not to mention one of the largest markets because you go coast to coast. So... I think he had $60 million coming off the books. You know, I'm not sure Bellinger or some of the free agents available this year. Um, maybe you go after the Japanese pitcher. Well, it's funny. It's like we planned this. At Jay Goldberg 12, Josh Goldberg, uh, host of the DFA podcast. Went to college with him. Did you? This is going a little bit viral here for him. I'm curious. If the Blue Jays were to sign Otani, would you go to significantly more games, buy Otani merch? Would you sign up for spending more oh money God. on the team if it meant signing a baseball unicorn? Oh, my God, and, yes. And everybody's falling over themselves to say yes. You know, th this is the this is the thing with, again, you're talking about a, a rich ownership group. Like, you make your money back here. You just do. Oh, for sure. Spend sun, moon, and stars on this player. Well, and in this case, this ownership group, it's not just you make your money back on ticket sales and merch and sponsorship. Programming. You own the television distribution yep. as well. Yeah. So it turns into a bigger deal for you there, too. Right. You get to charge McDonald's more for the 30-second right. spot. And here's the other thing, Blake. Your attendance has been pretty good. 
your fans for the most part have stuck with you through some years there were you were sort of a fringy playoff team or in it but really not necessarily a, a contender if that animal even exists in baseball yeah. in Arizona and other teams we've seen make runs but you know now would be a time to energize the market like I think in my years living there like we'd wake up on a sunny Saturday morning and go wow beautiful day Let's go down to the baseball game, mm. catch some race, catch the game. It's a cheap ticket, right? Oh. Baseball. They bring in Otani. You won't be able to oh, do that. Oh, my God. <laughs> yes. At Nuclear Golf, Paul Azinger, NBC Sports, part ways as contract ends. I can't say I shed a tear over this. He's very polarizing. Those yeah, that like I, him, like him. Those that don't, don't. There's part of me that loves, um, I like it when he's honest. He he does have a little bit of the Johnny Miller gene in that he, he will be honest. I like Johnny Miller more than I, I like Miller way more. Yeah. But some of the homespun, you know, down home huckster stuff. I mean, he's kind of the definition of the ugly American Paul Asinger. He just wasn't as nice to listen to. He wasn't no. as comforting. No. And he would get things wrong often. Yeah. Particularly in big spots. And he was just so pro-American. You could, you know, uh, an American and say a European or someone coming down the stretch. Now, the big question is, who do you replace him with? And is it time to bring David Ferretti home? Has Ferretti run his course? Because Ferretti went over to do live. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think his shtick is a little bit run, but, but he's still never good. never given him a chance in the 18th tower beside the play-by-play no. guy to survey the entirety of the field as opposed to one hole or where he really made his name as a on-course reporter. Yeah, it's possible. That would take a lot away from... From Liv, too. Might be a proactive move there as well. Although they're playing nice, so who who the hell knows. Uh, We never got to this. This is a few days old now, but it has to be talked about. At Sports Icon, Justin Cohen following the ECHL. Raise your hand if you've ever seen this before. The Kalamazoo Wings, this is the Canucks East Coast affiliate, are wearing the Toledo Walleyes practice jerseys at Toledo. According to the Toledo broadcast, the Wings... Left their jerseys at home. Yeah. But they are en route. Well, the equipment manager is ECHL level two. They uh, they did get their jerseys on for the second period. But for the first period, they're wearing the same crest as the team they're facing. Yeah. Just white. must go on. <laughs> and and, and the, the beauty of it, of course, is you can't blame it on the airlines or anything. It's a bus. You just got to turn around the bus and yeah. drive home and get them. At by Tim Booth. News, the Apple Cup will continue for five more years with the 2024 game at Lumen Field. This was something that I know people south of the line were very concerned with. What would become of the Apple Cup rivalry game between the University of Washington Huskies and Washington State University now that the Huskies are joining the Big Ten Conference and poor Wazoo is left behind in the Pac-2 alongside Oregon State. But they've struck a five-year deal. The game will rotate between Husky Stadium and Pullman after next year's big neutral site game at Lumen. And looky here, looky here, Saturday, Fox, 1 p.m., 5-6 and six Washington State needs a win to be bowl eligible, and they would upset and destroy their rivals national championship aspirations the fifth rank huskies going in 
to this game 11 or no. I think they've won like 18 straight games. It is truly a high point in Husky football. And the uh, little brother from Pullman, the Cougars have a chance to ruin everything. And I'm glad this game is going to go back to Pullman from time to time because there have been some extraordinary scenes in this rivalry. I'm thinking of Drew Bledsoe throwing darts in like 30 centimeters of snow well, like one three, year. Two or three years ago, oh, there was a yeah. crazy finish oh, in Pullman, absolutely. too. Yeah. yeah, and, you know, obviously Washington's going to win more than its fair share, but it's those occasional upsets that keep uh, our friends like Ian Furness and other Washington I wish that fans. was on broadcast uh, and more readily available. Like, we're, like, I don't recall stumbling upon the Apple Cup on my cable package. Well, it, 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 it sort of depends on how good the teams are. Um, when you've got... One of the two of them that's right there in the thick of it, usually a national broadcaster like Fox this year, will put it on nationally. If not, it tends to be sort of a lower-tier ESPN game that isn't always picked up by TSN. So, anyways, more Apple Cup. Good on you. And that's hashtags for today. Joined now by retired Army Captain Greg Bell, beat writer, News Tribune, Seattle Seahawks. We wanted to bring Captain Bell on for a midseason update on the Seahawks. Dramatic loss on Sunday. First ever Thanksgiving Day host on Thursday in the big rival, no less, San Francisco, a battle atop the NFC West. Captain Bell, how are you? I'm well, Happy Gal. Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. And as I joke with the off-air, I'm surprised you took five minutes to not talk about the rolling comments. Oh, my gosh. He's bringing it to the air now. No, I know. He's, I he, mean, he can't help himself. These, formy, this, these former Army intelligence officers, they always seem to find ulterior motives. We just wanted to catch up with you, sir, see I how understand. you're doing, and the I football team. And we do have more Kraken Canucks coming up as yeah, well. Indeed. So we, indeed. You got Friday. That. Yeah. So that'll be yeah. fun as well. In, in your town, the rivalry that has yet to launch. So will we, will we be talking, though, on Friday about an embarrassing performance by the Seahawks against the 49ers, oh. or do they rise to the occasion, even with all these injuries in a short week? Well, Blake, I can see them rising to an occasion and still not winning the game. No. I think there's still light years behind San Francisco on the line of scrimmage, offensive and defensive lines. They've been really gearing for 10 months for this game. This is the team they have to beat to win the division. Otherwise, they're a seven seed and they go on the road and get beat by Dallas or Philadelphia or San Francisco in the first round like it's been the last six years. So this is the team. I asked Carol that yesterday. I said to Pete Carroll, is this the measuring stick that you've remodeled your team from last year? And he said, yeah, I don't mind admitting that. And I think so far the season has proven that, especially at the line of scrimmage, defensive and offensive lines, they're still way far behind. How much of that is injury, though, Greg? Well, offensive line, Matt, for sure. Um, They've yet to have – well, since the opener, they haven't had their starting five offensive linemen. Abe Lucas is trying to come back off injured reserve. He hasn't played since week one at right tackle. I don't think he's going to be able to make it on this week either. If he doesn't, Jason Peters is going to, at 41 years old, probably start again. He's been pretty good, but it took him about seven weeks to ramp up to being able to play. And then in the crutch, in the clutch in Los Angeles, on that ill-fated run by Charbonnet with 20 seconds left, Jason Peters could not get to the backside linebacker. It was a scoop block, a really hard block to make. 
But when he didn't block the linebacker, that's who was sitting in the hole and ruined really the whole end game for Seattle. So their offensive line has, they've had 10 different offensive linemen start a game, eight different combinations in 10 games. A lot of Geno Smith and the turnover and third down problems have been just because of that. And on defense, they thought they had a defensive front they liked with Uchenna and Wosu being the leader of it. And he goes down. And I think when the season for Seattle ends, not having their top pass rusher in Wosu might be the biggest loss of all. Well, I was going to say, Greg, you know, given their injury report since week two, I actually think six and four is pretty good given it, what it, they've been through. And, and you know, now they got a quarterback with a bad elbow. How's Geno's status? He's not practicing today, Tuesday. He didn't practice yesterday. Carroll said he might not practice till Wednesday, but they, they think he is going to play. It could be one of these deals where they just don't have him do anything until the game itself. It's a bruise behind the elbow, Carroll says, on the tricep more than the elbow, which is good news in terms of throwing mechanics. But we saw what happens when you have to bring a backup quarterback in with no weak prep. Drew Locke was two for six, three yards, an interception that Tyler Lockett had no chance, and the Rams converted that to the winning field goal. The, at least this week, Drew Locke will have first-team reps. I don't know if that's going to help him or the offense, but if he has to play, he's more prepared to play Thursday than he was against the Rams. Of course, the problem is the 49ers are way better than the Rams. Honestly, honestly though, Greg, given the quarterbacking we've seen in the NFL this year, Drew Locke is filet mignon as your backup <laughs> quarterback. Like you, you honestly should have a way better chance with Drew Locke than some of these teams and who they're trotting out. They year. did spend four million dollars on their backup, and perhaps well, we'll see if that actually pays off. It sure didn't in LA. I'm I know we can't do this um, because you can argue it actually both ways because they had a few narrow wins where maybe you don't always win it. But there is a universe where this team has got at least two more wins than they than they currently have here. Like it, like they aren't they aren't that far off, and yet there's also a world in which they're four and six. You know, I I think, and they they don't pull off games versus the Browns, etc. So. Um, it, it, this is a really strange team that, um, and, and maybe they just deserve the mushy middle that they're in here, Greg. Maybe, but it, the turnovers and third downs, especially third downs, have kind of given them what they've got. I mean, the games that they've lost, they were just putrid on third down. They weren't going to beat Baltimore if they were 12 for 12 on third down, but they were one for 12. The most alarming thing I see, guys is they still don't, to me, seem to be any closer to beating San Francisco than they were in that wild card game in January. And they spent $124 million up to on their defensive front to change that, brought only in Wosu back and, and changed everybody else. They drafted Witherspoon at five, and they're playing five and six defensive backs constantly, which has worked well. They gave Geno Smith a $75 million contract extension. Having done all of that, they're still way, way behind San Francisco. Again, I keep coming back to the line of scrimmage. The 49ers on Thursday night, you'll see, they'll be able to do whatever they want. They'll run, they'll play action, they'll boot, because their offensive line allows them to control the game. Oh. It's going to take turnovers and things that Brock Purdy did during the 49ers three-game losing streak for Seattle to have a chance. Um, what's the status and usage of guys like Walker and 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 Jamal Adams even too, um, just based on coach's decision? Yeah, Blake, Jamal Adams, it looked, they aren't going to say it, but it looked like they didn't want to have him possibly miss this game by playing the Rams game, so they held him out of the Rams game. Mm -hmm. His knee injury, the doctors told him that his knee was going to hurt well after this surgery, and that's what he's working through. 
he's he's pain and doesn't practice much between games already. And then he had to sit out the Rams game so he can play in this game four days later. Kenneth Walker doesn't look like he's going to play. Strained oblique, could be a few weeks. And that's a problem. They have to run 20-plus times, at least 25 times like they did against Washington to keep pass rushes off Geno Smith. Where are those 25 carries going to come from? Zach Charbonnet is going to start, but can Kenny McIntosh make his NFL debut off of injured reserve and get some of those reps? DJ Dallas, who's a third down back, a special teams guy. Guys, I think the entire season's tableau on offense is shaped by their run game. And when they don't have it, Defenses like San Francisco's dominant front will just tee off on the pass rush and get to Geno Smith, cause turnovers, third downs, three and outs, and that's when games become runaways. They have to run the ball to be better equipped to be close in the fourth quarter of games and to convert on third downs. It's not third and 11, it's third and three. The games they've lost, they have not done that. Dallas and Charbonnet, I love when you've got a guy like Walker – as the primary back, you know, those guys are great complimentary backs, but mm-hmm. two, two great complimentary backs does not a running game make. Right. So you wouldn't think, but Charbonnet deserves more chances. I don't know if he's a lead back yet. I don't really, to the point, I don't know if Shane Waldron, the play caller trust him to be a 20 carry guy right now, but he might have to be on Thursday. Night. Yeah. He's a good player. Um, yeah. When they're healthy, I'm, I think this is a darn good team, but uh, they're up against it. I was down in your town a couple of weeks ago, or passing through. Yeah, thanks for saying hi. Uh, well, I mean, it was a monsoon between yeah. Everett and Tacoma, <laughs> so you'll forgive me. Um, why don't they cut their losses with Jamal Adams, just make him a linebacker and blitz him? Like, why do they insist on trying to play him at a safety and ask him to cover? That's a good question, Matt, because I thought you were going to say, why did they cut their losses and cut him? Now, I... I think that's his best suited is that he is at the line of scrimmage. It's a wild card blitzing. And they have used him in coverage more than I thought they would. They say some of it is Julian loves versatility at the other safety spot. And they like moving him around in coverage and in the box against the run and covering outside and inside receivers. Diggs is Diggs in the center field, deep post safety. But I'm with you. I thought Adams was going to be more of an edge rush, especially when Nuosa went down and they lost their top outside edge rusher then they had to sign frank clark and they're trying uh, boy mafia's had a fantastic year in the second season but it's really been boy mafia and that's about it with the pass rush you would think matt that they would bring adams up opposite mafia uh, and they haven't done that as much as i thought they would perhaps thursday night against san francisco without yeah. having shown before maybe this, this would be a hell of a spot right uh, it's a would. surprise kyle shanahan and the 49ers um lastly for, well I have two more, Greg. You'll, of course, one of them has to do with your uh, institution there you're wearing on your <laughs> hat and shirt. Um, when you draft fifth overall, that's a pretty rare opportunity, um, particularly for a team that's been this good over the last decade and a half. I don't think anybody would dispute that Witherspoon is a terrific corner. God, you, you love the effort. You love the physicality, and he can really do it all. He plays the run. He plays the pass and all of that. We were pretty good there to begin with at that spot. You think they're going to rue not taking a different position, even a quarterback (laughs) at that spot as the evolution of this team continues? It's a good question because I thought that myself that Witherspoon has done it for this year and he has been brilliant. He might win defensive rookie of the year. I know Jalen Carter in the East coast bias will get a lot of votes. And without a lot of training camp too, right, Greg? Like they dropped him in and he, John from the get go. 
Correct. And he'd never played nickel before either. He'd been a matchup inside corner at Illinois, but he's not a, a inside full-time nickel slot corner. And that he has done that, which is really hard to do as a, as a rookie. You got to do a lot. You got to read blocks. You got to take on lead blockers. You got to, like you said, to be a sure tackler. And oh, by the way, you have to covers the Julian Edelman, Cooper Cup types that do the slot. So Weatherspoon has been that for this year. But to your point, they can get out of Geno Smith's contract this coming off season for relatively low cost for the $75 million price tag his three-year extension was. This would be the time, one time they could do it as well after next year. But if they, if Geno Smith turns the ball over and continues to, to make mistakes in decision-making, what's next year's draft class look like at quarterback? It's probably not as strong. I know it's not as strong as this year's class. And, I don't know if they would have taken Anthony Richardson at five, who turned out to get hurt at the Colts. But it does beg the question, even if Geno Smith fulfills his three years of his contract, that's only two years from now. And who's your quarterback after that? Drew Locke is not signed beyond this year. He had a one-year deal. They don't have a quarterback of the future. They have a quarterback of the present who's turned the ball over before last game eight times in four games. And you're right. They had a generational draft pick at five where you would go get a quarterback. And that's why I thought they were going to draft Richardson, frankly, because of how high they were picking. They didn't regret it now. They don't regret it Thursday night. I think they're going to regret it in April and May. Two words, Nathan Rourke. Come on. Go get the Canadian kid out of Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Come on. We promise you. You won't regret it. <laughs> I've heard that from more than a few up your way. Lastly, Blake, he's beaming his Black Knights of the Hudson, the Army Cadets, 365 yards total offense, every single one of them on the ground <laughs> in a good victory over a, a pretty good program, Coastal Carolina. Well, uh, team. Off, offsetting Navy's aerial explosion with 102 yards to beat East Carolina. 10 nothing, Blake. The game was over in an hour and 15 minutes. Um, <laughs> December 9th, Captain, we're with you and the long gray line there in the Army game. Should be a great game of rugby. (laughs) (laughs) They should beat Navy. I mean, they they got six turnovers to beat Air Force 23-3, but the commander-in-chief showed me. I can tell you this. I know players and and classmates of mine at West Point. It's a bigger deal to win the commander-in-chief's trophy than any bowl game or anything. Oh, of course. And they get to go to the White House. They get to get a week or a couple days anyway in Washington, D.C. of banquets. And that doesn't sound like much, but for cadets who are usually stuck in the Rockbound Highland home on the Hudson River, it's pretty cool to get out and get feted by the White House. And that's what's at stake for them in Foxborough. I, it's cool. I get to go to Foxborough. First time the Army-Navy game's been there. I'm going to be there. And it's 30 minutes from where my daughter goes to school at the Coast Guard. Ah, mm. She's going to throw on her dress blues and go in as a Coastie and enjoy the game with me. Uh, but... Yeah, it's such a spectacle. I've said it on your show before. It's such a spectacle. If you could ever get to go, maybe they'll put it in BC play or whatever they call the, the bubble zone. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> yeah. Probably the not. Gone, man. The bubble's gone. No, we got a retractable bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. We Super now have slides yeah. as opposed to a bubble. Metrodome Northwest. It's yeah. not that yeah. anymore. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Uh, Greg, great catching up with you. Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, pity you have to work the actual Thanksgiving Day game, I but I hope you and the uh, twins and Wendy. Have a wonderful weekend. We'll Appreciate it. All that great holiday to you guys and then to your families and uh, into Canada and Vancouver. Hey, it's great. I got I get to work Thanksgiving and Christmas Eve, so I'm oh, good. That's right. Yeah. yeah. How about that? What a season. Uh, enjoy the holidays, sir. Thanks. Be Captain. well. Happy pucks.
Harrison Price from Wall Center. Presentation, Applewood Auto Group. You can text us, 778-402-9680. It's the Great Clips text message inbox. Great Clips. It's going to be great. Poll question results from Monday. How should the Canucks address their defense? 1,400 votes. Sign Ethan Bear or make a trade? What won the poll? Uh, Sign Ethan Bear. Indeed. Percentage? Mm, 64. 60. Dream, if we sign Bear, we can bury someone, but he is six weeks away at best. Trade is immediate, but at what cost? Pods, hogs, garlic. How much sugar will be needed to facilitate? I think he's better than six weeks away. Well, it's just because of the weird break, too. Like, he could just line up that he signed on December the 15th, but maybe doesn't touch the ice until Jan 1. I mean, that's possible. Yeah. Pucker Glenn, Trey, dropped the hammer while the season is super young. Still in the new addition or additions can develop chemistry and systems. I mean, ideally, sure, you got to find a partner. Leo says, I'd like to see some of the other AHL guys given a go. Wu, Johansson, Irwin need to see what we have in them in case they play a big role in a playoff run. No, they totally disagree. No, none of those guys are ready to step into a team that's challenging for first place in the conference. No, you don't want that smoke. No. Canucks News 31, both. Myers isn't coming back, and they won't let him walk for nothing, which means he's getting traded, right? So trade him now if possible. They find they need to find a way off of Bo and Myers. That's $10 million. Money in, money out deals for D-upgrades should be possible with moderate sweeteners. Bo being Villiers. Yes. Uh, yes. Um, I, 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 no, I think they're going to keep Myers around for the playoffs. I think they want a bigger body for the playoffs. I don't think Myers is going to be traded to the trade deadline as long as they're a playoff team. Harrison omissions from yesterday's program and beyond. Um, it was our friend Randy Hool who put the ball in the tree at Summerland Golf Course on number three and we could not retrieve it and we're throwing clubs and eventually J-Pat threw a rake at it. That also remained in the that tree. Also that is the danger when the ball is in the tree. <laughs> if the ball won't come down by a shaking of the tree you're probably better off just considering it a lost ball. Yeah. We gave Randy a free drop if I'm not mistaken. As Mary Carilla would tell you, trees just exactly. suck up sporting goods. Yes. <laughs> Badminton, yeah. look it up. Uh, it seems there was yet another issue with our podcast publishing on Spotify yesterday. Spotify listeners, we've heard you loud and clear. They're available now. Available now. I do don't believe I believe it's now resolved and that going forward you're gonna get the podcast at the same time everybody else does. So apologies. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Grady, uh James has taken issue with me uh wondering about Kingston, Ontario as a Vanier Cup site, and he cited the new refurbished Richardson Stadium there at Queen's University, which is eight thousand seats and says it's beautiful. I actually lived in Kingston for a year during the Gales' uh, heyday of football with Heck Creighton winner Brad Elberg and our dear friend Chris Gear, former assistant general manager of the Vancouver Canucks, was an all-conference receiver there. And it's just it just didn't seem like U-Sport support was great in that town. Like when you compare it to a London, Ontario, and Western, and, you know, St. Foy, Quebec, and Laval, and some of the other U-sport hotspots, uh, Saskatchewan, uh, around the around the country. 
But we did talk about how it's uh, drivable for either an Ontario or a Quebec champion. Kingston about two, two and a half hours from Montreal. So I imagine the Carabang will be well supported against UBC on Saturday. Yeah, I think it'll be a, it'll be a good atmosphere. You know, I, I, I do wonder whether you just play the game in one of the participants' stadium. That way you're guaranteed a crowd, you're guaranteed a scene. You yeah. Know, like, I think a neutral site works for a bigger football game in a bigger league. And an Ontario-Quebec championship, you can sort of expect everybody to travel. I don't know. Are you getting people to travel? Like, if like what I if— I mean, it is a lot—like, first of all, so if you're a UBC alum or fan— and you want to attend this game. Oh, my God. Planes, trains, and automobiles. Well, that's it. I mean, you're flying into Ottawa or Toronto and driving to Kingston. I, I know a lot of parents that have kids at Queens, away. and they're like, we might as well have sent our kid to Europe. Like, yeah. it, it's a long trip it's a home. Very long trip. Well, James made four points in the inbox, and oh, two wow. of them have, uh, have kind of encapsulated this. He says, this will be the biggest ticket in town. The city will be alive with excitement. Queens has one of the best student villages that bleeds right into the city. It would be a great atmosphere to be a part of. I hope and then so. he says, cost of actually attending the event will be relatively low. It's yeah. hard to oh, find yeah. a hotel in Vancouver. Uh, less well, than nobody bucks. said Vancouver here. No. Yeah. No, look, did a, did a Vanier Cup game here with the Grey Cup in 2011. It was a uh, sensational game. I think they should return to that. What? Put them together. Put it to with a... Yeah. You get captive. The problem is people will argue it gets overshadowed by the Grey Cup and all the events of Grey Cup week. See, what if you separated by a day? It was, it was both on the weekend days, wasn't so it? So it was played the Friday night. Oh, okay, here that's that, yeah, yeah. Sunday, yeah, yeah. So that to me that that makes sense. Gives you a recovery day. Yeah, it makes it more difficult though. Like in places like Regina, you got to book tons more hotel rooms where they're not I always guess. available. I just think play it at one of the. Ultimately, you know what the biggest wish is? I wish we cared more about university sports yeah, in Canada. Agree. Yeah. Betway bets of the day. When I think of Thanksgiving Day football, I think of poor Detroit getting clobbered at home. <laughs> the Pontiac Silverdome and now Ford Field. Oftentimes at the hands of the Green Bay Packers, but the Lions were not very good for three-plus quarters against my Bears on Sunday. I think Coach Dan Campbell going to get after them. And I think a little payback time, so I'm going Detroit Lions minus 7.5 on your Betway bet of the day. And I'm going with my Betway bet of the day to the new Thanksgiving tradition. And I honestly, I think they've they've hit on something here. These are two perennial programs. 49ers and Seahawks are generally good teams. Yep. In the division, it means something. Um, I think they should stick with it. And it gives you, an, uh, obviously, a West Coast uh, time slot. So uh, I'm going to take the points, though, for Seattle, plus six and a half at 190. Are you saying every year in Seattle or every year? These the, two teams. These two teams yeah, you can in all, either state. Yes, yes. Yeah. Just keep it out of L.A. Too blasé. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. No. You could go to Denver, but it's awfully cold. Yeah. No, you got too many variables there. This is This is good. All right, keep it going. Must be 19 plus to play. Please play responsibly. Thanks for listening, everybody. A reminder, subscribe to us, Rinkwide, and Connects Conversation wherever you get your podcasts. Follow on social. That's Twitter, Insta, TikTok, Facebook, and YouTube. And, of course, support the community sponsors we hear you talking about. You hear us talking about. Keep it local.